You are dismissed. We are in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 and 17. How to gain eternal life. Please stand together with me out of honor to God and His Word as I read. Matthew chapter 19, beginning verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why do thou callest me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Thank you. you. may be seated. So, the message is how to gain eternal life, but the question is, what is eternal life? Well, I think it was pretty well illustrated there. It is life that goes on and on and on forever. Life forever. That's what eternal life is. Now, what is the alternative? Well, the alternative would be eternal death, what the Bible calls the second death. You don't want that. That is to be dead forever, not in what you think like being buried underground, but the second death refers to hell. So you have eternal life on the one hand, the alternative is eternal death. Now there is one other alternative. It is not biblical, it is not true, but it's called annihilation. And annihilation is that you just live this life and then when you die, you're done. That's it. There's no more. Again, that's not biblical. That's not true. But there's a lot of folks that think well, that's what's going to happen to them. They're just going to live their life. They're going to die. And that's it. But here's the thing. We know what eternal life is. You can live forever. Why would anybody want or risk the alternative? If you can live forever, why would you want to die forever? Why would you just want to not exist? And so we're going to look at how to gain eternal life. Now there was an atheist who encountered a Baptist preacher. And he asked the preacher if the preacher believed in eternal life. To which the preacher replied, yes, of course I do. The atheist then began a rant about how he does not believe in eternal life because he believes in scientific evolution. The atheist gets in the preacher's face and he yells, There is no life after death. There is no final judgment. There is no God. When I die, I'll be buried six feet under and that's it. The end. No eternal life. No nothing. I assure you, that will be the end of me. You will never see me again. To which the preacher replies, Well, thank God for that. <laughs> let's look at how to gain eternal life. First of all, let's look at the question. The question, this ruler comes to Jesus. A man comes to Jesus. Actually, Luke in Luke 10.18 tells us he's a ruler. Uh, but, but Matthew just says a man comes to Jesus. But this ruler, he was an official. He was one in authority. And this man wants eternal life. And that's why he comes to Jesus. He asks, how can I get eternal life? I want to live forever. In fact, he says, how can I inherit eternal life? That word inherit means to acquire, obtain. How can I obtain eternal life? Almost everyone wants eternal life. Some want it here on earth. They take all kinds of vitamins, do all kinds of exercises, put all kinds of creams on their bodies. They're trying to generate eternal life in this life. Most await the life to come. I think very few people truly believe this life is all there is. That you just live this life and when you die, that's it. I think very, very few people actually believe that. Now notice this ruler was willing to earn his eternal life. He goes to Jesus. He says, what can I do? What do I need to do to have eternal life? He was rich. He was willing to buy it. He was good. He was willing to deserve it. He was in authority. He was willing to demand it. What do I need to do to get eternal life? You may have the same question this morning. 
How can I have eternal life? How can I live forever? And your second question would be, and what do I need to do? I do want to live forever, Brother Gary. I, I don't want to die forever, that's for sure. I want to live forever. And so what do I need to do? What's my responsibility? That's the question. And so let's look at the answer. Jesus answers with a question. The first thing He says is, why do you call me good? He says, why do you call me good? God is the only one who is good. Guess what? People are bad. People are bad. Let me just show you a few verses about that. Like Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Or how about this one? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God is good. People are bad. Jesus said, why do you call me good? Now, Jesus is not denying that He is good. He is not denying His divinity or His co-equality with the Father. Indeed, Jesus later claims authority, absolute authority over this man in verse 21 where He says, sell everything you have and give to the poor. Jesus is illustrating the fact that no man is good. And the rulers just assumed that Jesus was just an ordinary man. He was just a guy like everybody else. Jesus was confronting the ruler with His own human sinfulness. Jesus being the only exception, there are no good humans. Despite of what you hear at funerals, oh, he was a good man. Oh, she was a good woman. We say that, but if we really think about it, it is not true. No one is good, the Bible says. There is only one who is good, and that's Jesus. He kept all the commandments, and he died for those who couldn't. So Jesus, his first answer is a question, but then he answers the ruler's questions. The ruler says, well, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. And then Jesus goes on to list those commandments. In verse 18, he mentions uh, murder and adultery and theft and lying. And in verse 19, he mentions honoring your parents and loving others. He says, you keep these commandments. Now notice these commandments that Jesus mentioned, they all affect our relationships with each other because these are the easy ones. These are the easy ones to keep dealing with each other. Jesus makes no mention of the commandments that deal with God. Those are the first four commandments. Have no other gods before me, no graven images, don't take my name in vain, keep the Sabbath day holy. Jesus doesn't even mention those. He just mentions the easy ones, the ones that we deal with each other. And Jesus intentionally left out another commandment, coveting. This was the ruler's issue, and Jesus knew it. It was his issue, and Jesus knew it. If the ruler, or if we, could keep these few commandments, it would prove our goodness and our worthiness. But here's the bad news. We can't even keep these, and they're the easy ones, dealing with each other. They're the easy ones. We all fall short in our earthly concerns. How much more do we fall short in our heavenly concerns? Well, notice how the ruler replies when he says, how do I gain eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. And when Jesus lists the commandments, look in verse 20. The ruler says, I've kept all these ever since I'm a kid. I have kept all of these. He was not lying. He was deceived. He was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. Certainly he must have disobeyed or disrespected his parents at least once. Certainly he had told a little white lie along the way. He most certainly, as a man, was an adulterer in his heart. He says, I've kept all these ever since I'm a kid. 
That's how good I am. You see, the ruler thought he was good enough. And he may have been good on the outside. But here's the key. God doesn't look at the outside. God looks at the inside. He looks at the heart. And here's what the Bible says about our hearts. In Jeremiah 17, 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all and desperately wicked. That's the heart. That's where God looks. So this guy on the outside, maybe he did look good. Maybe he sounded good. Maybe he even smelled good. Probably not back then. But inside where God looks, his heart was wicked. His heart was wicked. But why did he think he was so good? Well, it's because we tend to notice other people's sins, not our own. Uh, we don't see the problems in our own lives. We just see the problems in everybody else's life. You remember that story Jesus told? He said, why are you worried about the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a beam coming out of your own eye? We can't see the beam. We see the speck on everybody else. Certainly this man thought he was good. At least he thought he was good enough. But indeed, he was not, and neither are we. Catch this, please. None is too wicked to be forgiven. And also, none is good enough to not need forgiveness. Hear that again. None is too wicked to be forgiven. Doesn't matter what you've done, how many times you've done it, who you did it with, doesn't matter. No one is too wicked to be forgiven. And the other side of that coin is no one is good enough to not need forgiveness. This man needed God's forgiveness. Now, when we look at this passage, Jesus seems to be teaching that there is another way of salvation. Like if you were to ask me, Brother Gary, how can I have eternal life? What do you think I'd say? You need to receive Jesus as your Savior. Believe He died, was buried, and rose again from the dead for you. That's what you would expect to hear from me. That's what I would tell you. This guy asked Jesus, how do I gain eternal life? Jesus doesn't say, receive me. He says, obey the commandments. He seems to be teaching another way of salvation. Obeying the rules. You know, that's what people thought back then. And sadly... That's what people still think today. How many people do you talk to? Are you going to heaven? Do you believe in Jesus? Oh, I don't really need Jesus. I don't need church. I'm a good person. I obey all the rules. I don't kill people. I don't rob banks. So not only did they believe it back then, you just got to keep the rules. You got to obey the rules. People still believe it today. Today. Obey the rules. Well, in effect... There is only one way to be saved since no one can obey all the rules. Why? Because no one is good. We just established that no one is good. I suppose if you could keep all the commandments perfectly, not even a little white lie, you wouldn't need a Savior. But nobody can because our hearts are wicked. And so when Jesus says keep the commandments, He's not saying there's a new way to be saved. If you were perfect, you wouldn't need to be saved. But nobody's perfect. Jesus accepted. So here's the bottom line. We can try to obey all the rules ourselves or we can trust the one who obeyed them for us. Go ahead. Try to obey all the rules perfectly. Try it. You have failed. You will fail. So I encourage you to trust the one who obeyed them for you. And after He obeyed them for you, He died on the cross to pay for all of your sins. He was buried and the third day He rose again from the dead. 
And so it's up to you. Try to keep the rules yourself or trust the one who kept them for you. So we've seen the question. We've seen the answer. Now thirdly, let's look at the proof. Jesus informs the ruler that he must put his money where his mouth is. The ruler said, I want eternal life. What do I need to do? And Jesus said, here's what you need to do. Sell everything you got. Give to the poor. Put your money where your mouth is. Charity does not create heavenly riches. Following Jesus creates heavenly wishes, uh, riches. But you cannot follow Christ if He's not your God. And Jesus said elsewhere, you cannot serve God and money. Now this ruler's charity would have proven his commitment to Christ, but it also would have required his complete dependence on God. Think about it. If you get rid of everything you have, what do you have? Nothing. Upon whom do you need to rely? God. Sacrifice without love is empty. Just the fact that this man would have made this sacrifice, sold everything he had and given to the poor, without love, without commitment to Christ, it's empty, it's meaningless. Paul talks about that in the love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 3. He says, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. He says, I sell everything I got and I give to the poor. And though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits nothing. So Jesus says, sell everything you have, give your proceeds to the board. Then look at the next thing he says, then come follow me. Come follow me. True faith is not just a set of beliefs. It is a lifestyle of following Christ. But here's the worst part of the whole story. Look in verse 22. This ruler went away sad. You know why? Because he was rich. He was very rich. And so he says, he comes to Jesus, I want eternal life. Jesus said, okay. Here's what you do. Sell everything you have. Give to the poor. Then follow me. And he's like, I didn't really expect that answer. And he walks away sad. Not only did he covet riches and more of them, wealth was his God. His money, his wealth, that was his God. Now remember, Jesus left out the first four of the Ten Commandments. Have no other gods before me, no graven images, don't take my name in vain, keep the Sabbath day holy. Jesus intentionally left those out. And now we see why. This man had another God in his life. It was his wealth. It was his riches. Now don't look down upon wealth. Money is not evil. The love of money is what is evil. I remind you of 1 Timothy 6.10. It says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money is evil. It says the love of money. And that's where this ruler was. He loved his money. His money was his God. Always remember that money is a great servant. But it's a poor master. It's okay if you got money and you use that. But don't let the money control your life. And that was the case with this ruler. Money was not his servant. It was his master. It's been said many times before, only a fool would refuse to give up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Only a fool would refuse to give up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. This man eventually was going to have to give up all his money. He was going to die one day. Okay, You can't take it with you, right? But he could gain eternal life. And that's what you keep forever. 
Only a fool would refuse to give up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. It is ironic, I think, in this passage that the ruler calls Jesus teacher, and yet he doesn't heed the teacher's advice. He calls him teacher, and when the teacher tells him what to do, he doesn't listen. He turns and he walks away sorrowful. Everyone has a God in his life. Your God is what is first priority in your life. Now, I don't know. I don't know what's number one in your life. I don't know what your priorities are. But whatever is number one in your life, that is your God. Now, it may be God or it may be something else. But your God is what is your first priority in life. Who or what is your God? Is it sports? Is it hobbies? Is it family? Is it career? Is it money? Whatever's number one in your life, that's your God. But if God is your God, He will hold first place in every area of your life. He'll hold first place in your time. He'll hold first place in your finances. He'll hold first place in your thoughts. And if God is not first in your life, remove whatever is. Now, God doesn't call all of us to sell everything we have and give to the poor like He did this man. He doesn't call us all to do that. He calls us to remove anything that hinders our relationship with Him. Whatever's getting in the way of God being number one in your life, get rid of it. He demands to be number one. He deserves to be number one. So whatever is number one, make it number two or three or four or ten or wherever it needs to be. Hudson Taylor famously said, if Jesus is not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. If Jesus is not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. Do you claim Jesus as your Lord? That means He's number one in every area of your life. So we've seen the question. We've seen the answer. We've seen, thirdly, the proof. Fourthly, let's look at the declaration. The declaration. Look in verse 23. Jesus says that rich people have trouble entering the kingdom of God Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Rich people have trouble getting into heaven. Now don't misunderstand. They're welcome. Rich people are welcome. But they are less likely to have God number one in their lives. Why? Because usually their riches are, or their power, or their business, or their connections, whatever. In fact, look in verse 24. Jesus said that you can get a camel through the eye of a needle easier that you can get a rich person into heaven. And Jesus' listeners were shocked. Look in verse 25. They said, well, who can be saved then? If the rich can't be saved, who can be saved? You see, Jesus' listeners thought that wealth was proof of God's blessing. When God wants to bless you, He blesses you with wealth. That's what they thought. And instead of being here today, you could be watching some, some evangelist on TV with slick back hair and he'd tell you the same thing. God wants you to be rich. And then, I don't understand this, he's, he'll say, send me $1,000 and God will make you rich. No, that'll make you poor. You'll make the guy on TV rich. But the fact of the matter is that they thought, well, if somebody was rich, that's because God was blessing them. But they and we are learning that wealth may be, can be a proof of God's blessing, but it also can be a curse from Satan. And that was the case with this rich ruler here. So they say, well, who can be saved? 
Because they're thinking nobody can be saved. I love what Jesus says in verse 26. Let me read it. With men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Jesus declares that what is impossible with man is possible with God. Man is helpless to effect his own salvation. We must rely completely on God. Because of this, poor folks have trouble entering the kingdom of heaven too. Because we want to be independent. We want to affect our own salvation. We want to be responsible for We want to earn our salvation just like this guy. What do I need to do to get to heaven? That's where we are. What do I need to do? I'll do it. Just tell me what to do. Alas, grace through faith is God's way. Grace through faith is the only way. My favorite verse, Ephesians 2.8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. And don't forget Hebrews 11.6. It says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. You want to make God happy? You've got to have faith. And God saves by grace through faith. Now know this, grace cannot be earned. Grace is never deserved. Grace relies on the goodness of the one who is gracious. And so who can be saved? As far as people are concerned, no one. And yet we have a gracious God who does save people by grace through faith. So let me conclude with this question this morning. How will you leave here today? How will you leave here today? The rich man left sorrowful, verse 22 says. When he learned he had to sell everything and give to the poor, he left sorrowful. He had gained the world's temporary riches. He never received the true riches of eternal life. He walks away sad, but I want you to know this morning you can leave here full. Now he left sorrowful. You can leave full, F-U-L-L full of God's Spirit that produces joy. The fruit of the Spirit is given for us in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith. You can leave here full of His assurance of salvation, eternal life. You can leave here today full of His eternal wealth. You say, well, Brother Gary, that's spiritual wealth, right? You're talking about spiritual riches. Yes, but I'm also talking about physical riches. Why? The Bible tells us that we will spend our eternal life in heaven. And in heaven, the Bible says, the streets and the buildings are made out of gold. Now think about this. The streets, the dirt, the bricks of the building are made out of solid gold. Now if the bricks and ground are golden, what must the rest of heaven be like? The most valuable thing we have here on earth is gold. And in heaven, they're paving the streets with it. They're building buildings with it. On earth, a brick isn't worth much, is it? If you came up to me after church and said, Brother Gary, I need a loan. Could you, give me, could you give me a loan? And I pulled a brick out of my pocket. You'd be like, what? that's stupid. That's worthless. I, I can't use that. Now, if it's a gold brick, that'd be different. But don't get your hopes up. I'm never pulling a gold brick out of my pocket, okay? But anyway, a brick is like worthless. And in heaven, they're pure gold. So if the bricks and the ground in heaven are golden, 
what must the rest of heaven be like? And we don't know. That's why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither have has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Just remember, the dirt in heaven is gold. Wow. What must everything else be like? And so are we only talking about spiritual riches here? No. Yes, there are spiritual riches in Christ, of course. But there are physical material riches too. Like you and I can't even imagine. And so this ruler comes to Jesus. He says, hey, I want eternal life. What do I need to do? I'm willing to do it. What do I do? And Jesus, knowing the issue with this man, he says, you keep the commandments. The guy says, I've done that. I've kept all the commandments. I am so good. You have no idea how good I am. I have kept all the commandments. Ever since I'm a kid, I've kept the commandments. But Jesus knew he had another God in his life. And Jesus knew he was coveting. And so Jesus said, okay, prove it. Sell everything you have. Give to the poor. Come follow me. And the ruler walks away sad. Is I'm not willing to do that. Oh, it'd be great to live forever, but <laughs> i got to live now. So we'll say forever for forever. And he walks away sad. You're going to walk away from here in just a few minutes. How will you leave here today? Sorrowful? Like this ruler? Because you're not willing to do what it takes to have eternal life? You say, well, Brother Gary, I thought you said there's nothing I can do. Exactly! Receive Christ as your Savior. Because when you do, you will leave full. Full of His Spirit that produces joy. Full of His assurance of salvation, eternal life. Full of His eternal wealth. When you get to heaven by God's grace, you'll be amazed at how wonderful, how beautiful, how perfect it is. But there's only one way to get there. I can't get you there. This church can't get you there. Only Jesus Christ. Believe in Him. Believe that He died on the cross to pay for your sins, that He was buried for your sins, and He rose again the third day. And one day, you'll walk those streets of gold. And you'll be blown away by how amazing heaven is. So I asked at the beginning, what is eternal life? Living forever. What's the alternative? Dying forever. Why would you want the alternative? Why would you risk the alternative? Receive Christ and receive eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story. How this ruler came to you and what you taught him and what you're teaching us. I pray if there's anybody in this room or watching online that has not yet received Christ as Savior, maybe they're just trying to obey all the rules. It doesn't work. Give them grace and faith to believe right here, right now. And Father, may all of us who are saved rejoice in our salvation, full and free, from you, by grace through faith in Jesus, in whose name we pray.